Today we're going to continue uh, looking uh, really at uh, confidence. Mark, you mentioned confidence earlier, and and uh, it got me thinking this week of uh, you know this national motto: "In God We Trust." In fact, uh, if you didn't know, it was adopted officially July thirtieth, nineteen fifty-six. And in 1957, it was printed for the first time on paper money here in the United States. Before that, it had been printed during the Civil War uh, on a couple of different coins, and then it uh, stopped being printed. But it was a national motto adopted by Congress and an act of the president on July 30th, 1956. And many of you are very familiar with that phrase. Eileen, you can keep it up there. In God, we trust. And I start with that this morning because it really fits with this theme of joy. And we saw uh, in the last couple weeks that Philippians, the underlying theme is a theme of joy. It's written a a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the believers in the city of Philippi. And underlying the current is, underlying theme is uh, joy. And then last week we saw that, that joy for Paul was really related to his confidence. Confidence. And that word confidence means faith, being persuaded, trust, right? Being convinced. And that's what got me to think about this national motto, in God we trust. And in fact, uh, the the title of the sermon, what I did is I I changed the we to I. And I almost want to put a question mark behind that. In God I trust. You know, it, it's so familiar, in God we trust. Oh, yeah, you know, the United States, in God we trust, right? We, we all trust God, right? Well, do we? Do we really trust God? And, and, and again, I'm taking it out of the plural, but to the singular, I. Do I really trust God? And, and I like the word in, because in uh, really causes us to think that trust has an object, Right? It's not just a statement about something that, that, that is a motto. If, you, if, you, if I say I trust somebody, I trust Mark, or I trust the chair you're sitting in, faith, confidence, trust has an object. So when it says, in God we trust, or in God I trust, what I am saying is that I am placing my confidence in an object, in this case, God. So as you sit here this morning, and as you're at home, maybe listening during the week, uh, you know, In God, I trust. Or we make it into a question, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Because we saw, again, in Philippians 4.4, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So there's the underlying theme of joy in the the book of Philippians as we move through it. Uh, And in Philippians 1.6, last week he said this, And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this. I'm certain. I'm confident. So underlying Paul's letters, not just in Philippians, but his other letters, you get this really sense that Paul is convinced. He's very confident in his beliefs about the nature, the character, the ability to fully be trusting of God. And that's directly related to this joy. And so this morning, I want to ask you, think about this past week. Think about your joy level. Did you, and now in reflection, can you see this relationship between your joy and your confidence? 
Was, did something happen this week that just really kind of threw you for a loop? Would, would, would be a joy killer or a kill joy, right? And when that thing happened, why did it kill your joy? What, what, where did your focus go in the moment of that, right? Because all of us would affirm this, you know, in God we trust. Or, yeah, sure, I trust God. But what about when life doesn't go so well? What about the current pandemic situation? How is, how is the relationship between your confidence in God and joy? How is that working out for you, right? Because we also saw last week that, that confidence is equal to control, is related to control. If I have a high level of confidence in God, well, I'm, I'm really to release a lot more control in my life. When I get nervous, I get scared, I get insecure, and my confidence level maybe starts to, to wane a little bit. Well, in those moments, then, then I want to take more control. And as I, I've learned in my own life, as I take more control, you know what happens? I have less joy. I have less joy, right? So, so we have high confidence. Lord, I surrender. I give you control. I, I can rest. You are, I, I have joy. Confidence, life happens, circumstances, I'm not so confident, I get nervous, scared, insecure, I take control, and I, in taking control, I suffocate my joy. And so there's this relationship between confidence and joy, and I want to look at that this week and next week, because if we're going to have this consistent biblical joy, well, we need to understand what it means to be confident, what does it mean to be confident? What does it mean to say, like, I trust God? And, and what are the some things in your life and my life that actually, honestly, we might even be more confident in than God, if we were honest, right? R.C. Sproul says this. It is one thing to believe in God. It is quite another to believe God. Ooh. That's a powerful, powerful statement. It is one thing to believe in God. It's quite another to believe God. I remember a statistic from years and years ago. They polled uh, the American population and, and a very high percentage of people expressed a belief in God, but not as high a percentage believed God. See, there's a difference. You and I, we can believe in God, but not have confidence in him. You can believe in the existence of God. You can believe in a lot of things. But when the rubber meets the road in your life, in my life, you're really more confident in yourself or other things than him. You don't really believe him. That's, that's a powerful difference. That's why even in the church, we, we affirm a lot of beliefs in, I believe in, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the Trinity, I believe in, in, in. But the question when it comes to confidence and trust is, but do you believe God? I know what you believe in. I just want to know if you believe, trust, have confidence. When the rubber meets the road, there's a profound difference, right? And, and what's really challenging, as I was thinking through this issue of confidence, is that in our culture, very self-help, very, you know, be the best version of yourself culture, there is no shortage of YouTube inspirational, motivational, gifted speakers who will inspire you to have self-confidence. To get up, to take control of your life, 
to stop being lazy, to stop wasting time, to, to you know, and, and, and you can watch those. I've watched several of them, you know, uh, Navy SEALs and, and biz, successful businessmen, and I'm watching that, and they're about success and leadership and being, you know, just a man in general, not a godly man, a man in general, and you can sit there and go, yeah, 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 and you can get inspired, and you can go, man, I need to do something with my life. And, and you leave, and video after video, you get inspired to what? Self-confidence. Self-confidence. Be all you can be, right? And it's all about me being the best version of me and having this ultimate level of self-confidence. The challenge with that, from a secular point of view, is that there is nothing about confidence in God. In fact, if you go down that route and you develop this very high level of self-confidence, you know where it can lead you? To not even needing God. You don't need God anymore. You're completely self-reliant. You're independent. And so I don't need to trust God. I trust myself. That's the culture we live in, and that's the challenge we have, and that even affects our joy in the church, is because we, we spend a lot of time on YouTube, and I'm not saying there's anything bad at sort of this basic level of discipline and, and taking responsibility for your life. There's nothing evil or bad about that, except when it takes you away from God, except when you become the object And the universe revolves around you, and it's all dependent on you. And suddenly you elevate yourself up because you're so self-confident that now you're God. Now you're the authority in your life. Now you're dictating what's right and what's wrong. And if it takes it to an extreme, now you're telling God how to run the universe because you're so self-confident. And so we come back to the motto, in God we trust. Well, I don't know, because we live in a culture that really says, trust yourself. Trust yourself, self-reliance. In fact, our culture says, if you need God, you're weak. Isn't that this, right? All you people at church on Sunday, you just need a crutch. You're, you can't handle what's, what's going on in the real world. That's why you're at church, right? Trust yourself, right? That's what they're saying. And if it's not self, then there's like what I call stuff confidence, you might, you, might not, you might be not so much about self-confidence that's taking you away from God, but what about stuff confidence? What do you mean by stuff confidence? Uh, your 401k, right? I thought it was really interesting that, uh, Ali, put up the dollar bill again. Isn't it interesting that it says, in God we trust, and it's printed on money? It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because many people trust what it's printed on more than the God that the model speaks about, right? Think about it. What are you trusting? You trusting God or you trusting the size of your bank account? You trusting your job, having a job. You're trusting your pension. You're trusting your retirement. You're trusting uh, who's, in, who's in control of the government. You're trusting whatever, right? I call it stuff confidence. What right now as you're sitting here, do you really have confidence in that you're trusting, that you're persuaded, that you're convinced that you can really just go all in with? And I'm going to be honest with you. That's a very heart probing question. That's not a quick fix because at the church, we've learned a lot of cliches and a lot of mottos. And then it takes, you go home and, you know, they say, you know, look at your checkbook, look how you spent your time, like, and all that. And that reveals kind of your priorities. Well, if you were to reflect on your life, 
What would your life reveal about where your confidence is, who you're really trusting in? What would your life reveal, right? And so we want to look at at this idea of God confidence versus self-confidence versus trust confidence. I mean, stuff confidence, right? Stuff, self or stuff, right? Isaiah 31 says this, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy one of Israel or consult the Lord, right? It's a great word picture of kind of our culture again, right? They're relying on hor- on horses and, and horsemen. And they were strong. We got the military, yada, yada, but they're not even consulting God, right? Look where their confidence is. Look at James four. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to, into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That's a very self-confident person, isn't it? Like that, we would like give a thumbs up. That's got business plan, vision, motivation. We're doing this, right? Nothing in itself wrong with that, except look what it says. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Again, right? This great self-confidence, be a driver, leads to what? Arrogance, which leads to what? We don't even need to consult God. We got it all figured out. You have to be very careful about that. Very careful. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Right? So I, I love that. He's like, hey, don't be boasting in all your stuff. Don't be, boast that you know me. Start with me. Is that where your confidence is? What are you boasting in today? Are you boasting in your relationship with the Lord or you're boasting in all the stuff of life? What are you hanging your hat on this morning? Okay. And then we have this example of Peter, right? If you know Peter, I love Peter. Peter kind of reminds me of me. Peter was a speak your mind kind of guy, right? And so in Mark, right, uh, Jesus uh, is about to be arrested and go through all of that. And he warns them. He says, he tries to warn them. Right. And in Mark 14, Jesus is this. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Very self-confident, isn't he? Right. And some would go, yes, Peter. Tell him like it is, except who's he, who's he disagreeing with? Jesus, God, right? Imagine this. Jesus is out of love telling the truth. And Peter in his self-confident, arrogant way says, you're wrong. Not me, right? And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, 
I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Man, that is some self-confidence right there. Now, I'm not saying that he was intentionally lying, but I'm like, that man was full of confidence. And he inspired others, right? He's like, yeah, I will not. And all the others are like, yeah, me too. Right? Yeah, you tell him, Pete. I'm with Pete. I'm with Pete. Right? Self-confident. But look at it. Step out and go, wait, Jesus is saying, truly, I tell you, this is about to happen. Peter is so full of himself that he is disagreeing emphatically with Jesus. This is where we can go in our culture if you become so consumed with self-confidence that you think you know better than God. And you read something in the word and you're like, nope, not me, not me. Okay, that one me, right? This is where this this sort of underlying theme of self-confidence and stuff confidence, really, if we're not careful, kills our joy. And why does it kill our joy? Because it takes us further and away, further away from Jesus. And now we're carrying the universe on our shoulders. And we're trying to control it, and it's killing our joy. Right? So we look at Paul, and we're like, okay, how do we, how do we kind of move from this ultra self-confident, I don't need God, in fact, I'm going to tell God he's wrong, place, how do we move to a place of just reliance and confidence in God? Well, if we look at 2 Corinthians, I, I got some news for you. It might be a painful. It might be a painful journey to move from self-confidence to God confidence. Okay? And this is what I mean. 2 Corinthians 1.8, the apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth and he's telling his story, his journey of moving from self-confidence to God confidence. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned, everyone say learned, learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. So how did Paul develop, learn God confidence, learn reliance? Well, he's very specific. Ali, you can keep it up. It says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. Anyone ever been at that place? Anyone ever been at that place in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, I am at the end of my rope. I, Lord, I, I'm done. I, I, don't even, I don't even know if I can make it another day. See, God allowed a circumstance in Paul's life to bring Paul to the end of Paul. Because Paul was very intelligent. He had done everything right. He had all the awards and accolades and all the achievements, but through being crushed, overwhelmed, and thinking that they were going to die, they learned confidence 
reliance on God. See, that's challenging. I told the, I told the, the staff, the leaders this morning, see, in, in other countries that live at subsistence level, where literally they're, they're asking and praying to, for their daily bread, like just for food for today, just to make it through today, they live this. Every day, they live in confidence in God, right? They, they're at the end of the rope. They can't make anything happen other than trusting God, confidence in God for their daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. When you live at subsistence level, you understand confidence and reliance on God much more than us. That's our challenge in the United States in very wealthy countries is honest to goodness, confidence and reliance on God. Really? Now, sometimes I know like dear brother, Randy and Tracy, right? You're taken through an illness and it brings you to that place where God, we, we just simply trust you. It's as simple as we trust you. There's almost very nothing left to, we trust. It's just confidence, faith, trust. It's just that. Take away all the trappings of churchdom, take away all the trappings of all this and it just becomes you and God. Just you and God and this walk of faith and confidence, right? So, so Paul has this moment and it's a real hardship. And, and this is why it's important, okay? A lot of us, when circumstances happen in our life that are very challenging, we do like Paul did when there was a thorn. Oh God, take this away. Oh God, take this away. Please take this away. And really what God may be wanting to do is learn you something, He might be wanting to teach you to trust him. He might be wanting to teach you to stop relying on your street smarts, on your bank account, on how well you can work the system. He's taking away everything. He's stripping one by one, everything away by allowing this circumstance in your life. So he finally gets you to simply just trust him with no strings attached, just pure Simple confidence, reliance, trust that God becomes your source. Amen. But to get to that place, honestly, in my life, I've been on this journey and God's shown me things. And I have learned when God brings me through and I'm going through situations that really challenge me, really kind of like push all the buttons. I clamp down. I clamp down in control. I clamp down and fix it. I clamp down in anger. I clamp down in whatever because, you know, I don't like it. And I've learned in my life that over time, if it doesn't go away, God has to one by one peel my finger. Let it go. And, and to the place where I'm like, okay, uncle, I give. And you might be going through something this morning. And you're like, why is this happening? Why isn't this going away? I feel crushed. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know if I can make it. Maybe you're there and maybe it's because God is saying, hey, trust me. I want you to trust me. Because if you're like me, you probably have a lot of go-tos when things happen in your life. You go to what worked before. You go to, you go to, you go to. The challenging part is when all the go-tos get played out and the situation hasn't changed. And you're like, oh man, now I'm really scared. Because I, you know, the ace in my pocket (laughs) that I was holding on to, I played the ace and 
nothing changed. And that just might be where God wants you. Because after you play all the cards, what do you have left? Him. And whether or not you trust him. Whether or not you trust him. I shared with you the Jeep you know, experience I had last week. That was one of those strip it away. In my journey in ministry with wife and several kids, there's been times when we, by faith, moved churches in San Diego because of certain circumstances, not necessarily know where, knowing where we were going, and it was one of those moments. Okay, God. Okay. We're going. Take a deep breath, and we go. And yeah, at those moments when it's you and God, your heart's beating. Your heart's beating. Because at a certain point, you're realizing this is either real or it isn't. <laughs> and I'm all in right now and I'm way out on the limb and, or I'm like, I'm like, you know, out of the boat walking on water and you're out there, you're exposed, you're vulnerable. You pushed all in and it's like, okay, God, you got me. Oswald Chambers says this, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. How many here have ever had something in your happen in life and you say, God, I don't understand this. Anyone ever have a God I don't understand? <laughs> right? We all do. What does the Bible say? His ways are higher than our ways. We're not going to understand everything he allows. But this is why we know the full counsel of God, that God is good. And all the time, even if you don't understand everything, amen, right? Even if you don't understand it, because in the moments, what are you exercising? Faith. Faith. And this journey of faith, yeah, we, you know, we're finite. We're not going to understand an infinite God. Now, we have the word of God, and you understand the word of God, and you put your trust, you know, how we got the word of God, that it is the word of God, the Holy Spirit opens your mind. You understand what the word of God teaches us about God's character, right? About who we are. But at a certain point, you're going to have to exercise faith that you and me with our finite minds will never fully understand an infinite God on this side of heaven. Amen. You're just not, but that's not, that's not just us. Scientists still don't understand everything on this planet. They can't give you definitive answers for many of the physical things that happen on this planet. They have theories, but even science, right? Oh, well, you know, that's, that's because it's Christian. No, even scientists don't understand why certain things happen in nature fully. They go, well, that's pretty cool. Well, here's a theory, and here's another theory. Years ago, I talked about yawning. There is no definitive answer about why we yawn. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of postulates about why we yawn. We know we yawn, but there's no definitive scientific answer about why we yawn. I share that with you because sometimes we're like, well, I got to know everything. I got to know everything. Then I'll believe science doesn't know everything. And here's the thing years ago, which really helped me understand this. Got to know everything. Even atheists exercise faith. What does that mean? Well, even if you say that you don't believe in God in order to know that there is no God, you would have to be all present everywhere at all times and know everything, which by definition would make you God. So if you say, I don't believe in the existence of a God, you're exercising faith. You have done your calculations and you've come to a certain line and you say, I don't believe in God. That's a faith statement. 
Understand that. That's a faith statement. Because they don't know all things everywhere in the universe at all times. It's impossible in our finiteness. So even atheists, to a certain degree, exercise faith. We have the word of God. Holy Spirit opens our eyes. We walk by faith and not by sight. So sometimes they try to create this, you know, oh, you guys walk by faith. We walk by science and reason and law. No. No. As finite human beings on this planet, at a certain point, we're all exercising faith. We just put our faith in the word of God and the risen Savior. Amen? At a certain point, everyone on this planet has to exercise faith about your eternity. Because you don't know for sure. The question is, where are you going to put your faith when it comes to your eternity? We choose what the Bible says about Jesus and how we're saved by grace through faith. Others exercise faith and they're banking on their faith statement. But it's, it's an element where this idea that I got to know everything, you're not. Science doesn't even know everything. You can get, you can do research up to a certain point. But at a certain point, you're going to say, okay. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And there's the spiritual component of the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to understand spiritual things. Okay? Psalm 118 says this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Jeremiah 17. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So who do you trust today at the core? At the core, who or what are you trusting for your eternity, for the decisions you're going to make the rest of the day? What's the source? What's your ultimate source of trust? One writer defines confidence as this. I love this. He says, confidence in the Bible has not it the idea of being free and fearless, being free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, Boldness and assurance. I love that. Cheerful courage. Cheerful courage. See, I love that because for some reason, it's interesting. When I say, hey, do you trust God? They're like, yeah, I trust God, man. Hey, are, do, you, do you depend? Yeah, I'm depending on God. Are you relying? Yeah, I'm relying on God. Why is it that this idea of confidence in God has such a negative, heavy survivor mentality? right? I'm just trusting God. Where's the cheerful courage? Where's the joy in confidence of trusting God? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, why don't we wake up and say, God, I'm so glad I can trust you with running the universe today. Amen. Like, where's the joy in that? Where's the courage in that? That you're like, God, you're in control and I'm not and I can trust you because you're good all the time and I'm your child. You're never going to leave me nor forsake me. I have confidence today. Where did that go? Instead, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting God, bro. I'm trusting God. Yeah, I'm depending on God. 
I'm depending on God. Where did it, where did it, where did it lose its joy to have confidence in God? Right? How many of you as a parent raising your kids found some sense of joy when your kids had confidence in you? Right? Like they listened, you're like, yeah, okay. You're like, like, you know, jump off the side of the pool, right? How many of you did the jump off the side of the pool thing, right? Right? And how many of you felt good when they jumped off the side of the pool? Because they what? Trusted you. And you were like, yay! And, and you know, your yay was mostly because like, you trusted me, right? And, and it's like, I wonder like how father feels when we don't have that same woo in jumping into his arms. And we're like, oh, okay, father, I'll, I'll trust you. Right? Well, think about your, where is your joy, your cheerful courage in trusting God? Where did that go? Where did that go? Right? Now you're like, well, I look around this planet and there, there's a lot of heavy stuff happening and, and that just tends to weigh me down. And, and yeah, but isn't it great that we can choose where to put our focus? Isn't that what the world needs? Is a church followers of Jesus that choose to walk cheerfully, courageously into this world? Amen. Right? Where, where is that? And, and, I, and I thought of a couple examples from the Old Testament, right? In, in Numbers 13 and 14, you remember the Israelites' journey through the wilderness. They get to the border of the land of Canaan, the promised land, right? And, and they send out spies, 12 spies, uh, Numbers 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men out, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Very important, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Remember that God just said that which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So 12 spies go out. They explore the land for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, they come back to the camp, bringing some fruit that they found, you know, that they took and they give a report. 10 of the spies give what we would call a bad report. This is their perception of the promised land that God was going to set. He told them he was going to give them right. Numbers 13, 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. So these 10 people come in, these 10 spies come back like, hey guys, got some bad news. There's giants in them, in that land. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. And of course, what happens to people? They just spiral down. In fact, they go, we want to go back to Egypt. They forget everything miraculous and supernatural that God did to get them to the border of the promised land. They forget everything. They hear this bad report. And like, we need new leadership. We're going back to Egypt. And I wonder about that with us. Because that one phrase really struck me. It says, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. I wonder in the current world situation, and maybe it's not the pandemic, maybe it's something else in your life. 
Maybe you feel like a grasshopper compared to whatever it is you're confronting. Maybe it's too big. It's too scary. And you feel like a grasshopper. And you're, and you're, you're, you're getting nervous, and you're like, oh, 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 and you're, you're scared. And in that fear, because you're focusing on the giant, and you're focusing on you being a grasshopper, you're forgetting everything God has done in your life. You're forgetting all the miraculous ways he came through. You're forgetting your identity, and you want to go back to Egypt. Is that where you are this morning? Do you feel like a grasshopper? Because you're getting these constant bad reports on the news. You keep feeding yourself these, all these bad reports and some friends, quote unquote friends, are giving you constant bad reports and bad reports and bad reports. And suddenly you're like, you know what? We're just grasshoppers on this planet. We're just grasshoppers. And when the powers tell us to jump, I guess we're just going to jump because we're just grasshoppers. Is that how you're feeling this morning? Because you filled yourself with bad report after bad report and that's what you're focusing on? Because look, if we keep reading, Joshua and Caleb, they actually come with a different report. Same spy trip, saw the same things, but they come back and report something completely different. Numbers 14, right? This is what they say. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. They give this incredible faith, God focused report. And what do the people want to do? Kill him. And I just wonder, what are you going to do with this message? Whatever God says to you about where you're going to focus and that you can move forward in victory and strength and courage and cheerful courage today in these circumstances. Are you going to go like, yes, let's go? Or you're like, eh, mm, 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 I don't know. What are you going to do with it? Where are you focusing? Where have you been focusing? Are you focusing on the giants and seeing yourself as just a little grasshopper? Or are you focusing on God and what he can do in you and through you in this time? Where's been your focus? You remember the story of David and Goliath? Same thing. Same, same thing. Valley of Elah, right? The Philistines army lines up on one side. The army of Israel lines up on the other side, Right? Goliath, right? Famous story. Goliath comes out for 40 days. And where I come from for 40 days, he talks trash. Because what he says is like, I'm the champion of the Philistines. Send out your champion. We're going to fight. Whoever wins, we're just going to call that the winner of the battle. All right. So he calls out the Philistine, the Israel, Israeli army, the, the Jewish army, 40 days, 40 days. Now, here's what Goliath looked like. Then Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, 1 Samuel 17, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. 
He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. That's Goliath. He comes out, and for 40 days, he challenges the army of Israel. Hey, come on, let's do this. Send out your champion. Let's just settle it one-on-one. And for 40 days, King David and the army of Israel line up for battle. He comes out. He challenges them. You go. I'm not going to go. You go. I'm not going to. They're terrified. They're terrified. Right? And David, at this time, David's three older brothers had been part of King David's army. They're out there on the front. And one day... Uh, David's father says, hey, David, can you bring some bread and some stuff out to the guys, your brothers and the soldiers? So he does, okay? And it just so happens when David arrives at the front lines to deliver the supplies, good old Goliath is talking trash. And David happens to hear him, right? So this is David. David says this in 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asks a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? And ending his defiance of Israel. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Right? And all of David's brothers get all like, who do you think you are? There's no way, you know, what are you doing here? Right? And, and, and King David says, you know what? There's no way you're just a little shepherd kid. There's no way you could fight and de- defeat Goliath. Right? But look what David says. Verse 32. Verse 34. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Is that true for you? Do you have that same level of confidence in 2021 that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, you can put your confidence in? Is that where you are? Because see, it's a matter of focus right now. King David and the army of Israel, they're just focused on Goliath, Goliath, Goliath. Look how big he is. He's the champion. And along comes little David and he says, who is this guy? Because where was David's focus? God and his experiences with God in his life, the lions and the bears. So again, the question for us when it comes to trusting, when it comes to confidence in God, where's your focus been? Is it on the giants of the land? Is it on you and how small and insignificant and weak you are? Where, where's your focus been? This If we're going to have joy, you're going to have to be honest and take the time to think and let God, through the Holy Spirit, really almost sometimes pierce your heart about showing you where you've been really trusting or not. What's been your confidence? Are you all in? Are you all in, right? And and this morning I want to speak to, there's kind of like I think there's two ends of the spectrum here. That I want to encourage you with. First one is kind of like Peter. 
Maybe today you're like, oh man, I've been like real self-confident. I've been over self-confident. I've been kind of full of myself and kind of arrogant. And Lord, I need to just come back and humble myself. Okay, so those, there's that spectrum that's like over the top self-confident, bought into all the YouTube and be the best version of yourself to the point that you're independent and self-reliant and don't need God. And maybe today God's like, hey, check yourself. Check yourself, okay? And then I wondered this morning if you're at the other end maybe that you're like a grasshopper. And circumstances in your life, reports you heard since you were small for years and years said, hey, you're just a grasshopper. And what that did is it just crushed any confidence. And you just sit here and you just are a grasshopper. And years ago, you, 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 you cashed it in and you, you, even, you, just, you just called it quits. You waved a white flag and said, I, I, I don't know, I've heard it so many times and now this is happening in the world. I'm just a grasshopper. Let's go back to Egypt. I wonder if, if there's some today here or at home and you're like, God's like, no, focus on me. Look up, focus on me. The overly confident, you need to focus on God. Those that like you've been crushed and you're in grasshopper mode, you need to focus on God. Everyone needs to focus on God. Amen. You really do. You need to like take the time. And anywhere in that spectrum to say, Lord, it, Lord, I give you permission to, to just, you know, permission to speak freely. Will you really show me what I've been basing my confidence in? Like seriously. And I'm going to encourage you just from my own journey, even through the past few weeks, that's pretty, it's pretty eye-opening to realize that you've been trusting in a lot of things other than God. And a lot of it, you know why it's tough? Because it's worked. It's got you to where you are. And to, to have to come to this place of, uh, yeah, yeah, God, I've been actually relying more on my street smarts and more on my ability to make it work than you. Right? Take the time. Take the time. And a beginning place, a great beginning place, would be salvation. Come back to the cross. Because the Apostle Paul he came to that place where he said, you know what? Okay, let me think about this. Let me think about this. Okay, I have no confidence in the flesh. I no longer have any confidence in the flesh. The apostle Paul in Philippians 3, kind of peeking ahead in Philippians, he says this. I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Amen? 
So if you want to kind of like push the reset button as far as God confidence, go back to the cross and say, God, I have no choice but to put my full confidence in you for salvation. Amen? That levels the playing field. We all come to faith. We all get our name written in the book of life through faith with no confidence in the flesh. Amen? That levels the playing field. And that brings you back to the place of like, okay. There's nothing. It's not my own efforts. I am fully dependent, fully reliant, fully confident in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Nothing else added, just Jesus. Amen? That's the starting point. That's the starting point. Charles Blondin was a a famous tightrope walker in the 1800s. In fact, he made several trips across Niagara Falls on a rope that was 1,300 feet long, two inches wide, several, back and forth, right? And thousands of people would come out to watch him, and he would do carry things on his back, a camera and everything like that. Well, on July 15th, with President Millard Fillmore in attendance, Blondine walked backward to Canada and returned to the U.S. pushing a wheelbarrow. Two weeks later, he somersaulted and backflipped his way across, occasionally pausing to dangle from the cable by one hand. Shortly after, he made another crossing and after a brief rest, appeared on the Canadian end of the cable with Harry Colcord clinging to his back. Colcord was his manager. Blondine gave his manager the following instructions. Eileen, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. I love that picture because that is an all-in confidence moment. Amen? His manager, he's, if his manager said, hey, Harry, do you believe in Charles' ability? Yeah, I believe in him. Do you believe, Harry, if you got on his back that you would t- make it across? Yeah, I believe. Well, then get on. You see the difference between believing in and believing? Huge difference between believing in and believing. When you believe, you're all in. That was an all-in moment for his manager. All in. He had to have confidence. Confidence. And then I love that. It says this. Leave it up, Eileen. It says, until I clear this part, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. He's like, just hold on. Don't try to do this, what you think is going to work, because what you think is going to kill us both. Just be me. Just be so tight with me and let me lead. Don't try to balance. Let me lead. Trust me. If you trust me, we will get across this 1300 foot rope on this two inch wide thing, right? Trust me, trust me, trust me. I love this because when I saw that, I thought of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Put that picture back up, Eileen. Jesus says, hold on to me. Walk by faith. Trust me. Trust me. Don't try to fix this. Trust me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We follow Jesus so closely because we put our faith and confidence in him. Amen? That's us and Jesus. (laughs) Are you there this morning? Are you just holding him? Are you that confident in him that he's going to get you to the other side because he said so, because he loves you and gave himself for you? Are you just, are you that confident that he's going to get you? And all you got to do is hold on and walk by faith. Amen. Just hold on. Just do what he says in the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust, trust, trust me, trust, trust me, trust me. Right? If we start to sway, don't try to fix it. We'll both die. And sometimes in your life, maybe right now things are swaying. Maybe you're swaying right now. Maybe you feel like a grasshopper and you're like trying to go back to what you're relying on, what you're trusting. He's like, don't do that. Just trust me. Just hold on. Just keep walking by faith. And so maybe today, as we take communion, you need to knock yourself down a few pegs and say, whoa, I've been like large and in charge. Father, forgive me for my pride and arrogance and my over self-confidence. Forgive me for the times and the areas of my life where I don't even check with you. It's not if the Lord wills, because I will it. Maybe we need to confess our pride and our arrogance. Maybe we need to say, Father, I choose this morning to trust you. I choose to trust you. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe it's just like coming to faith and like, okay, I have no confidence in the flesh. I'm just trusting Jesus for my salvation, Lord and Savior. I'm just holding on to Jesus as my Savior and Lord this morning. Or maybe you're a believer, and for whatever reason, over time, you've heard a lot of bad reports on the news, on the internet, how bad everything is, how horrible things are going to get. Maybe you're just inundated with bad report after bad report. And today God says, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my child. I work all things for the good. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Hold on. Just hold on. Walk by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us this morning that our confidence is in you, is in you, 100%. Psalm 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Jeremiah 17, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. 
So, Father, this morning, as we prepare for communion, wherever we are on the confidence spectrum, you do, you know, and I ask you to speak to our hearts. If we have been overly self-confident to the place of pride and arrogance, not even checking with you, not dependent, just large and in charge, Lord, we use this time to confess and repent of this. And Father, if we have been on the other end and just been like grasshoppers and just been like uh, the army of Israel cowering before the Goliaths in our life, Father, this morning, we choose to turn our attention back to you, the living God. There is nothing too difficult for you. You are God. You do not change. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here and those watching online, those listening that we would be a church, that we would be followers of Jesus that are confident in our Father, confident in our salvation, confident in our identity in Christ, and that this confidence would bear the fruit of conviction and courage, that we would have boldness, that we would have joy, because our confidence is in the Lord. And so, Father, in this time of communion, we will hold the cups and we'll remember you, Jesus. He says, as often as we do this, do this in remembrance of you, we'll remember you. And then, Father, we'll think about the Apostle Paul and what he learned. He said in 2 Corinthians, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. So we take this communion, Jesus, in remembrance of you, but also confident because you were raised from the dead. Confident that we are children of God. There is nothing too difficult for our Father.